just as I've been talking to guys and pastors, and you know, we're in serious uh, conflict right now as a nation. Our, the morals of our nation, I, I think the whole idea of marriage, chapter 5, Robert's going to share with us. And I asked him uh, if he would just kind of, I think the battle between how, what marriage is going to be defined as and, and it, God's design for the family is all under attack. And I asked Robert to come and share on the subject. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Robert Hall to come up uh, to give him a warm welcome. Well, first of all, we should be applauding the typical yearly hospitality that's been laid out to us here. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, that's not an accident. Ray and Marguerite are servants, and uh, the people in their fellowship have learned from them to be servants. And I don't know about you guys, but I've been a lot of places we are served well and loved well here. So let's give them one more round of applause. And with that said, I'd like to tell you that uh, I didn't want to be here today. I love you guys, but I wanted to be out there sitting next to my co-padre Andy and uh, enjoying myself. And so I volunteered uh, Joe and Franco, who's the senior legal counsel for the Alliance Defense Fund, to come and speak today. And uh, Joe's in New York. He told me that about three weeks ago, and Ray said, you take his place. So that's the end of our friendship, Ray. I love you, but that's, <laughs> that's it. Ephesians chapter 5. I've been traveling around the state with Joe. I've been addressing pastors uh, to wake up before it's too late. And I want to address some things to you, I think, as men, that you can make a difference in your generation. I'd like to read to you um, the first part of Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Living Translation. You're welcome to follow along uh, if you'd like. I just want to read a few verses. Before I get into the last part, I'm going to be talking about marriage today, but I want to read this first part. It's very applicable to everything that's happened in this conference, especially what Dave just said. By the way, don't buy Dave's book if you want to sleep, because I bought it, and I've been going to bed about, usually go to bed at 8, 9 sometimes. I'm an old man, and I get that book, and money just leans over at 11.30. Are you going to go to sleep? I'm like, no, I'm in the chapter weather. So anyway... <clears throat> And it is an extremely exciting book, and, uh, and I highly recommend it. Follow God's example in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love for others, following the example of Christ, who loved you and gave Himself as a sacrifice to take away your sins, and God was pleased because that sacrifice was like sweet perfume to Him. Let there be no sexual immorality impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is really an idolater who worships the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. I'm going to read that one more time. Verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the terrible anger of God comes upon all those who disobey Him. 
Don't participate in the things these people do. For though, <clears throat> though your hearts were once full of darkness, now you are full of light from the Lord, and your behavior should show it. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, rebuke and expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But when the light shines on them, it becomes clear how evil these things are. And where your light shines, it will expose their evil deeds. This is why it is said, Awake, sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live, not as fools, but as those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in these evil days. Father, as we come to your word, may we understand your design for marriage. May we understand the culture that we live in. May we understand your desire and your uh, will for each of us to shine our lights in this culture, even if it's painful, even if it brings us a shame from the world, even if it causes us personal and physical harm. Lord, we would be men who are willing to stand for the truth of your word, no matter what, to speak that truth in love, to care for people, but to be men who hold fast to the truth. Be with us now as we look at this subject, Lord. Open our hearts to understand the days in which we live. We ask in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We find ourselves in the last days, boys. <clears throat> we are godly men living in the last days. There's absolutely no doubt about it. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And he's, he's allowed this world to get completely out of hand, far beyond what I would have. God is so gracious. I would have ended this thing a long time ago. But we find ourselves in a morally bankrupt culture and a society. And one particular issue that, that threatens the institution uh, and to, of marriage and is going to hasten the destruction of our nation and our culture, that, that issue, of course, is the legalization and protection of sodomy. Many in the church today are asleep and don't understand the seriousness of this crisis. And we cannot afford to sleep because the culture right now is stealing your children from you on this issue. And unless you've been on Facebook, the mid-high level of Facebook and high school level of Facebook, you have no idea what the children today in our churches believe about same-sex marriage. And I'm going to surprise you and tell you that they don't believe what you believe. And this is an issue that uh, we need to be wise about, and we need to be upfront about it, and we need to be loving, but we need to be very truthful uh, with our children, with our families, with our friends about what is going on, because our culture is being deceived um, in an in in incredible way that was written about 20 or 25 years ago, and they have systematically done exactly what they said they were going to do. ADF wrote this book, this is 2003, called The Homosexual Agenda. This agenda was formed in the 80s, and they have done everything that they set out to do. Okay, it is now publicly acceptable. 
It is soon to be legal. And this has great ramifications for you and I as Christians uh, and for the church. Now, I'm going to put up a PowerPoint. I don't want me up there. I want the PowerPoint up there. And I want to ask you, <clears throat> what is wrong with these cake toppers for weddings? Okay, what is, what is wrong with these cake toppers for weddings? What is wrong with these uh, wedding couples? Now, I know that most of us in the room believe uh, that calling same-sex relationships marriage is wrong, and somehow our hearts tell us that, and, and, and if we've been around church very long, we understand there's something bad wrong here, but we live in a culture that's bombarding us to accept this behavior as normal, as non-threatening, and I'm picking my words very carefully, as normal, non-threatening, and legitimate behavior. All right? Now, they're saying things to us like this pastor, uh, the Bible says, does not say that homosexuality is a sin. There's a growing movement in this country within the church. I, I always, when, when I get like this, I like to quote Daniel Patrick Moynihan, my favorite philosopher, everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. Okay? But they say the Bible doesn't say anything against uh, homosexuality or against homosexual marriage. They say, why can't uh, two men who love each other or two women who love each other get married? Why can't we live together happily ever after? Why can't we make it legal? Why can't you Christians show us some of God's love? That's all we're asking for is some of God's love. This, this, is, this is the demonization of Christians here. This is what they say about us, and that, that we just don't know God's love. We don't understand it. And uh, they come at us and they say, look, why can't we get married when you Christians don't honor marriage? You don't honor what, what you say God put in place. And, and in fact, honestly, the divorce statistics are equal for the, anybody who claims to be a Christian in this country as a mass group are equal to the people who claim not to be Christians. It's the same, same divorce rate across the board. And so they say, you don't honor, you don't honor marriage, and so why should we? And so there's been this, uh, this agenda in place, and uh, I'd be willing to bet that if you had your children here, you would be shocked, for most of you would be shocked at what your children would say to you. I have grown children that grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian school, went to the church with their dad every week. They had to. I was the pastor. They taught Sunday school. They went to Calvary Chapel Bible College and, and Christian College, Biola University, and they look at me and say, Dad, what's wrong with two people who love each other getting married? And these are, these are my grown children. Now, you know, I've, I've had a loving heart-to-heart -heart talk with them. This is a very sensitive issue. There are people in this room who have children who are involved in homosexual lifestyle. I totally understand. I hurt for you. And the church is here to minister to you and to your children. There are people in this room who have had homosexual encounters. And I want you to know that I love you because Jesus Christ loves you, that everybody in this room has been through a lot of sin that none of us want to show up today on the screen, okay? And, and uh, what you've been through is no dirtier, in a sense, than what we've been through. You're no dirtier than we are. God forgives sinners. God loves sinners. And so uh, there may be somebody in here who is actually struggling with thoughts of same-sex attraction. 
And I want you to know that I care about you very deeply, and I hope that what I share today is going to help you to understand this issue from God's point of view. 1 Peter chapter 3 says that we are always to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the reason that the hope that we have. But he said, be gentle and be respectful. We're not, we're not going to win them by hating them. And I, I heard a teaching once that got me, and I want to tell you, it really got me. And the teaching was that the culture of the 60s thought no worse of the hippies than we do today of the homosexuals. And the pastor asked, are you willing to accept that group as Chuck Smith accepted the hippies and lead them to Jesus and help them out of their lifestyle? And that, 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 that hurt me when I listened to it because I was like, I don't think I am. <laughs> it's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult deal. What I want to talk to you about is, are we ready to answer their questions? Because they have a lot of questions, and I don't know that our children know that we can answer those questions. I don't know that we can answer those questions in a, in a respectful, logical way. I don't know that we know the facts. I think a lot of us in this room, including myself, till I got into this, are having the wool pulled over our eyes. And we're setting this issue on the back burner, but I'm going to tell you, this is not a back burner issue. This is the destruction of your culture and your country. The people in the gay agenda, and I want to separate them out from someone caught in homosexuality because I think there's two different things. There's an aggressive group of people behind the gay agenda that have been successful in painting homosexuals as victims. They do it on the TV, they do it in movies, they do it in books, and they are painting them as being really good, kind, loving people that are hated by an unloving, bigoted society. And you can raise your hand because that would be you and I. That's how they feel. And many in the Christian community, as I said, have bought into this because the polls show that almost 50% of people who call themselves Christians are pro-same-sex marriage. They do not understand why we can't just let them get married. And what, what has happened is that the focus on the behavior has changed to a focus on the victim. But truly, this is a behavior no different from any other sin. It's just a sinful behavior. And the challenge for us is to lovingly explain to our families, our culture, why this behavior is not good for them, why this behavior is not good for their children, the children that are involved, why teaching this behavior in grade schools, as you'll see, is not good for our children, and, and to explain it in such a way that we're not condemning them but that we are standing against this behavior. Gentlemen, we have to stand against this behavior. You don't understand. I was just told, a friend of mine, lawyer just told me that Elaine Photography just came down the opinion by the New Mexico courts that she was indeed wrong to refuse to photograph a same-sex couple, that she was wrong in doing that, and that the $7,000 fine that she got as a photographer has to be uh, paid. Now, you guys understand, this is a private business, and she just turned down a ceremony and found a substitute. They had their ceremony, but she said, on religious grounds, I can't photograph your ceremony. She's guilty. The Mexico Human Rights Commission says she's guilty. The New Mexico court says she's guilty. 
This is the tip of the iceberg, and uh, it is, there's a lot coming down. Now, let's talk real quick, quickly. Let's keep my PowerPoint up, would you? And uh, they don't want to see me anyway. Why is how this culture defines marriage, why is that so important to us as Christians? Our primary answer is simple, and I want you to never forget this. It's important to us as Christians because it is important to God. We don't need any other reason. We don't have to explain it. We don't have to give our opinion. We just say it's important to us because it's important to God. In the record that God gave Moses, he defines marriage for us as his idea, specifically uh, making man in his image, right? Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And he created them male and female, male and female. And it says... Um, Uh, Following that in verse 28, that God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So this is God's design, and the words for male and female, I don't want to get too graphic, but they mean any and Audi. They're very descriptive Hebrew words. And so God designed men and women to be a male and female, any and Audi, right, to become one, to be the basic unit of human society, they fit together physically, they fit together uh, emotionally, and, and as they're fitting together, they have the ability to produce children, all right? A detailed account of that is given to us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's not good for man to be alone. How many of you would say that today? You're married. It's not good for me to be alone, right? I, 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 I God said, I'll make him a helper fit for him, fit, and that, that word means a good fit. And he said, for Adam, there wasn't found a good fit. It wasn't found a mate, so he caused a, a deep sleep, right, to fall on man, took one of his ribs, and brought the woman, and he said, whoa! It's after lunch, but that's what he said. That's what the Hebrew says. His name was Ish. He named her Ish. Ah, man, look at that, you know, and it's, it's a, a natural attraction. God created it, and he said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man. He should have realized right then there was a problem, but he didn't. <laughs> woe man, because she was taken out of man, right? She was taken out of man, so she was a good fit, and God said, therefore, this is God speaking, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And there was no shame in that relationship. Now, he, a good fit here, he's a counterpart. She's a helper, a person to aid him and support him, somebody that's his, his ally. And not only do they fit together physically, but they fit together emotionally. They fit together uh, spiritually. It's mutual complement, companionship, and it's a balance. And I'm going to get to that later, but it's a balance for life. Only a woman can balance a man. Right? I love you guys, but a, a, a weekend conference is all I can handle with you, right? And, and that's the way we feel. We like hanging out together, but when we really get down to the intimacy of life, we want our women, right? Because that's God's design. So we, we're to honor this, the covenant of marriage, because it is a gift of God. It is a design that God gave that creates a safe environment of love and support where we can bring up children. If she, he's fit. I'm getting behind on my slides, but this is marriage according to God, right? Now, there's another reason, and that reason is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. And if you're still there, um, I'm, I'm only glancing over Ephesians. I'm, I'm the worst of all the speakers because I'm not even making a pretense at doing Ephesians chapter 5. 
But I do, I do want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, right? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Why? As to the Lord. Why? For the husband's the head of the wife as, I underlined this in my Bible, Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 28, in the same way, the same way as what? In the same way as Jesus Christ, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 29, just as Christ loves the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be joined to his wife. Two will become one flesh. And then verse 32, this is a profound mystery. Marriage is a profound mystery. How many of you are married and agree with that statement? Marriage is a profound mystery, right? But look at what he says. I'm talking about Christ in the church. Gentlemen, the reason we, and one reason, that the main reason, two main reasons I should say, but the second reason that we have to honor marriage is because earthly marriage is designed by God to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Now, if you pervert that, you pervert something that is the most holy and sacred relationship in the universe for all eternity. No wonder the devil wants to destroy it. Because when the bride walks down the aisle with her father, who's a picture of the Holy Spirit, bringing her to the groom who is standing there with the pastor, who Joseph always say is a picture of God in a sense. We're not very close, but we're a picture. Next to the groom, who is a a type of Jesus Christ, that whole entire ceremony, and I say it every time we do a wedding, this is a picture of Christ in the church. And when that picture is perverted, something very holy and very sacred has been lost. We cannot give on this issue. We cannot give on this issue. This God's design, and we have to admit we failed to honor our marriages. I don't want to show of hands, but I'm just as guilty as all of you. By Jesus' definition, we've all committed adultery. Many of us have committed adultery by physical definition. We haven't upheld marriage the way we should have. But let me tell you something. Our failure does not change the truth of Scripture. Our failure does not change the truth God has proclaimed in marriage and the picture it is of Christ and the church. Listen, there are many types of behavior that attack traditional marriage today. This is not the only behavior I I ever talk about as a pastor or we talk about as Christians that attacks marriage. We have have adultery, heterosexual lust. We have, you know, cheating on a spouse. We have in the the same uh, uh, entertainment world is giving us the same lie that that's okay. But it's not any more okay than homosexuality. Because you're attacking God's institution. It, it, it's the same thing with gambling. It's the same thing with pornography, with violence, with substance abuse. Anything that attacks God's institution of marriage is wrong. It's sinful, and God hates it. 
And so it, what we're interested in is not condoning any of that behavior, not accepting any of that behavior, but loving the people who are involved in that, lovingly telling them and explaining to them it's a violation of God's law and it's hurting their relationship with God. We don't want to do that arrogantly. We want to be uh, humble about it. We want to, we want to be loving, but we, we, we have to be firm. We can't extend license to sinful behavior in the area of marriage, regardless of what it is, because it destroys a picture that is very dear to God's heart. And not only that, is it loving? Do you guys think it's loving to allow somebody to continue in behavior that is destroying them and destroying their relationship with God? Is that loving? Let's get something straight. That's not loving. It's not loving to let me drive off a cliff when you know there's no bridge there. That's not loving. And so we've got this sick idea of what Christian love is that, you know, what, what did Jesus say? I don't condemn you either to that lady. Go your way and sin no more. Now, what if she'd have gone and hopped into bed with somebody else? You guys understand, you know, Christian love involves being salt and light on this earth. <laughs> we, if we love people, we're going to tell them, you're going to die and go to hell. So I'm not condemning you. And you understand, by the way, that, that will be considered hate speech at some point. You need to read Dave's book. But that will be considered hate speech at some point to tell somebody, you are not a Christian. You do not have the Spirit of Christ. You're going to die and split hell wide open. You know, that's the way I would say it, but that's not probably a nice way to say it. But to tell them that eventually will be illegal. And once you take one thing out of the book, you can begin to take anything out of the book. And that's what our government is seeking to do. That's a whole other story. We want to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we want to be able to present to our children and our culture the truth concerning these issues and especially of calling homosexual sodomy, homosexual activity, marriage. All right. That was the fun part. Homosexual behavior is unnatural and deviant behavior. Now, I say that to say it's against all norms of nature. This is my favorite slide because it's cupcakes, but it, it shows male and female. In all nature, in all creation, there are no naturally occurring instances of homosexual behavior in the way there is among humans. But that's pretty obvious because we're created in the image of God with the ability to make choices and our nature is fallen. We have a sinful nature and so we can choose to live in the lusts of the flesh if we want. We have a capacity for evil. But you know what? People know it's unnatural. They they, they understand essentially. They use words like gays and, and queer. This is their words. And they call us straights. See, we all understand this unnatural behavior. We all understand that it is crooked behavior, that it's not upright. The issue is getting us to accept crooked behavior as being straight behavior. 
But all human beings know there's something unnatural. Um, why can't two men who love each other, two women who love each other, why can't they get married? Z uh, Ravi Zacharias did a thing on YouTube I saw. It's absolutely amazing. A couple of issues I want to talk to you about. One of them was he said, look, the sin nature is the sin nature, and every human being has the same sin nature. Now, this is maybe difficult to grasp, but we're all capable of being Adolf Hitler's. We're all capable of being homosexual. We're all capable of being mass murderers. We're all capable of all sin. Do you understand that's a sin nature? Your sin nature is not any better than mine, okay? It's all the same. And our sin nature is not any better than Idi Amin. Whatever it is, the sin nature is the sin nature. It just had manifested itself in different people's lives. And he said, we have a proclivity. We have a desire. We have a propensity to sin. But he said, he said and, and he said, that propensity includes homosexual behavior but what happens is we understand we can't give in to everything the flesh wants to do we we can't give in to that in fact as christians he says temptation must be resisted he said there are christians who have felt the temptation to homosexual behavior some christians have been attracted to us uh, to the the same sex but every Christian needs to understand that no matter what we're attracted to, no matter what temptation we have, no matter what the devil comes to tell us to do, whether it's the secretary at the office or, you know, uh, homosexual behavior or whether it's something else, we resist and the devil will leave us, right? We resist the devil and he will flee. You understand temptation is common to all men, to all people. People involved in homosexual behavior have given in to the temptation. They've been drawn to the lust. They didn't hold the ground. Now, one thing I do want to say for all you guys, and that is temptation is not sin. You can have all kinds of thoughts pass through your mind, but you don't have to sin. You just tell the devil, it is written. I'm not, I'm not going there. And so uh, what he basically makes the point, he says, he says, our sexuality is a gift that is from God and it's sacred. When God created man and woman, it was his plan, not our plan. He created the mystique and the majesty and the charm and the complementary nature of a woman in a way that made it possible to meet a man's physical and emotional needs. So if, <clears throat> if you take what has been designed by God and deviate from it, you will find yourself in big trouble. That's the issue. You're telling God, oh, wait a minute, I know what you designed man and woman together, but I got it all figured out. It's much better to have man and man together. As, some, as somebody said at lunch, Adam and Steve instead of Adam and Eve, right? It's much better to have that. But th when you do that, you're deviating from God's plan. When you deviate from God's plan, when you, uh, when you decide to engage in unnatural sexual behavior or unnatural behavior of any kind, you bring death into your life and the death into the lives of anybody else that's involved with you. Sin brings forth death. You can't get around that law. You can't tell me, oh, I can go out and sin. I can gamble away the paycheck and nothing's going to happen. You don't understand. Sin brings forth death. You have no control over it. I always tell people it's like a bobsled run. It takes you a long time and the whole team a long time to get that bobsled pushed off that starting line and get it going downhill. But baby, when it's going downhill, you hanging on for dear life and steering because you can't do anything else. That's the way it is with sin. You've got to push and push and push to do sin. But once you get it going downhill, God help you. 
He's the only one that can't. Because that bobsled's completely, absolutely out of control. Now, Paul understood this coming from Athens. He was in Corinth and wrote the book of Romans to the Romans. But he's thinking about Athens and their culture there. And he said, likewise the men, leaving the natural, there it is, unnatural, right? Natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves what? The penalty of their error, which was due. God designed the relationship between a man and a woman to be a balance. When you remove that balance, now for instance, um, sexual intercourse. When you have a, a man and a woman in a relationship, over time, there, be, there, there is a balance in your sexual activity. There, there are all kinds of things that come up in life, and you guys know, understand, I want to get into it too much. We've got some young men here, but th there are restraints in sexual activity that are naturally built into a relationship between a man and a woman. But when you put two men together, there are no such restraints. And what we see looking at the homosexual community is uh, um, multiple encounters a day, hundreds of encounters sometimes a month, and as many as thousands, which are not countable, over a lifetime because there are no natural restraints. The lust of the flesh is, is no control at all on it when there's not a balance of a man and a woman. Conversely, uh, emotional swings in a marriage balance out because most of us as men are not all that emotional, you know. Get over it. The game's about two minutes over, and, you know, I don't know why you're crying, but in a few, you know, I'll get it to you in a couple of minutes unless it goes to overtime, okay? So, you know, we're... We don't, and we don't tend to be emotional, but when you put two women together, I don't know if there's any police officers in here, but I'm a police chaplain. I can tell you that what I hear from them is that lesbian domestic violence is some of the worst calls they get. There's no restraint on emotion. It's out of balance. It's not God's plan. And so you have people damaging one another physically, emotionally, and, and spiritually damaging each other. And it is just, it, it's horrible what that does to human beings. And on top of that, most of the people, not all, but most of the people who get into homosexual acts, homosexual behavior, are already damaged individuals before they ever got there. They're already fatherless or abusive father exposed or exposed, you know, uh, um, abused uh, or exposed to deviant sexual behavior when they were young. And so they have this, this, they're already damaged people. They desperately need Jesus Christ. And, and so then they enter into these relationships, and these relationships, I wish I could uh, share with you some of the stuff you read, but it's just so damaging, so terrible. And um, um, they don't live, the, the life expenders, there's people that don't agree with this, but most of the studies say they're 20 years shorter on life expectancy. A massive percentage of alcohol use, drug abuse um, is so common, domestic violence, all of the things that make our life miserable are rampant in that group of people. 
They are, they are really destroying themselves. The psychological problems of depression, loneliness, suicide. Oh, the, 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 the youth suicide. I just about got sick to my stomach. I was reading about the youth suicide among homosexuals who call themselves bi. That's a new thing now. Bi is probably not new even, but they call themselves bi. I'm bi, you know. And so I do either, whatever comes up, you know. And, but among those kids who consider themselves homosexuals in mid-high and high school, mid-high and high school, people that have been involved or have been touched by homosexuality, their suicide rate and attempted suicide rate is off the charts compared to any other group in the country. The suicide rate is off the charts. When I read about it, the reports blame, now listen to this, non-acceptance and bullying, not the behavior. In other words, I'm going to commit suicide, but it's your Christian, it's your fault for not accepting me. Government, it's your fault for not making my behavior legal. But let me tell you something. You can make it all legal, and you can make us accept it, and you can change everything so that it is totally acceptable, totally legal. It will not change the damage done by the lifestyle. You're still going to have the percentage. You're still going to have the problems. Why? Because you can't deviate from God's plan and not have horrible things happen. Do you think the, God gave the law because he hated us? He wanted to make our life miserable? He, he loved us. He, he knew it wasn't good for us. So he gave us, he gave us a plan that was good. Now, both the Old Testament and the New Testament are very clear. Please don't believe what you hear sometimes. You say, well, the Bible doesn't say that it's wrong. That's absolutely crazy. It is strictly and straightly and to the point addressed in Leviticus 18 and 20 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. And I want to go over that one with you. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, I want you to close your ears if you're below the age of 18, okay? This is tough. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals or sodomites will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there are two words used here uh, for this behavior. One of them uh, is a word that means soft, lewd, and disgusting. Some of your translations will say effeminate. This is a person who is taking a female role as a homosexual. If you want to know more about this, which I doubt you do, but you can get free online a book called The Pink Swastika, which is a book about Nazi Germany, and it will explain to you the homosexuality in the Nazi party and in the camps and what drove the bizarre conduct and the bizarre uh, stuff that went on in those camps. And the truth of the matter is it was homosexuality. So Paul lists soft, effeminate, homosexuals, and he also lists sodomites, the male role of homosexuality. And that definition, that word means a man who lies in bed with another man. Now, if he took the trouble to delineate and put those two words there, it, that's not a passing reference that you can blow off. He said, these people are not going to heaven. This should give us, as Christians, a heart for anybody involved in this lifestyle because they, can, they are not going to heaven. And right now, there's a big push for you to accept the fact that Christians 
can be involved in a homosexual lifestyle. I'm here to tell you that with the Apostle Paul, not to be deceived, they're not on their way to heaven. They're not going to be there with you. There's not some kind of a grading on the curve that you and I don't know about. You can call yourself a Christian all day, but if you're going to be involved in this behavior, you need to understand that you are on the way away from heaven, not toward it, no matter what you call yourself. Now, I want to say again, and I have to fight myself all the time, but when we stand for marriage, we're not intending to bash a specific group of people. I'm not here to bash adulterers today. I'm not here to bash uh, gamblers. I'm not here to bash uh, homosexuals. I'm here to declare the truth, and the truth is they're in big trouble. Now, if we were living in the 1800s, I would be up here talking to you about polygamy because Utah would be wanting to become a state, and I would be up here defending marriage and saying Utah cannot become a state because they want to have polygamy in Utah. The church defended marriage in the 1800s, and they changed the law. See, we take the same view with any type of behavior which the Bible teaches to be sin because this behavior separates us from God, and God hates what it's doing to people. He died for that. He cries for that. He sent His Son to reach out to people and to talk to them about their choices. Now, quickly, what about the children? There's a new, <laughs> new wave now of the adoption. They're closing down Christian adoption agencies right and left now because they don't adopt homosexual couples. So, uh, let's get a couple of things straight. Uh, as Joe would say, the pu public purpose of marriage has always been procreation. That means a sexual act that has the potential to produce children. The government is interested in marriage because it is interested in the welfare of children, hence the future of the culture. Studies clearly show that children do best in low-stress environment where they are raised by their biological parents, man and a woman. Simply put, the government has an interest in marriage because it has an interest in children. We all recognize, and all the studies recognize, that children need a mother and a father. So the same-sex couples have to answer this question. Which one is not necessary for a child? Rosie O'Donnell was on her, t her uh, show, and she was bragging about the fact that her 8-year-old son came to him and said, said, Mom, I want a dad. I want somebody to take me hunting, somebody to take me fishing, somebody that will, that will love me. I want a dad. And she, on her show, she looked at him and she said, you're so special, you don't need a dad, you only need a mom. And she laughed and the whole audience laughed. You know, that, that I, you know what I hurt the most about in that? I don't hate anybody. I hurt for that eight-year-old boy. That's the kid I hate for. I hurt for. I don't hate him, I hurt for him. And, you know, you guys, there's a need right now. I'm just going to step aside here. There's a big need right now in scout troops and youth ministries and places that there are a lot of single young men. I, you know what? I got a lot of things going, but I never miss Monday nights at the scout troop. I'm assistant scout master, and these kids don't have dads. They need dads badly. And that's, that's off the subject and get myself in trouble now. Okay. New law from France, September 25th, 2012. France set to ban the words mother and father on official documents under plans to legalize gay marriage and give equal adoption rights to homosexual and heterosexual couples. Under proposed law, only the word parents would be used in marriage ceremonies for all heterosexual and same-sex couples, a move that has sparked wide outrage. 
Now listen to this, Cardinal Felipe Barberin, the French Catholic Church. Gay marriage would herald a complete breakdown in society. This could have innumerable consequences. Afterward, they will want to create couples with three or four members. Now this guy is right on. This is what we are finding. What's going to happen next? If that's okay, why isn't that okay? Why isn't something else okay? We need to understand that the people advocating the redefinition of marriage are advocating ultimately that any relationship, any relationship could be called marriage. One of the ACLU lawyers was pinned down by um, uh, Joe Infranco at a debate, and he said, he said, how, he said, how many, if a man wants to marry three women, is that okay? Yes. If four guys want to get married, is that okay? And Joe finally thought, this is funny. I'll just ask him. He said, what if I fill Qualcomm Stadium with 46,500 people that all love each other and had a pastor come in and perform a marriage ceremony? He looked at the ACLU lawyer and says, is that okay? And the guy said, yes. So what is going on here is... They love, this is not about allowing people to marry some persons they love, but rather a kind of sexual anarchy where marriage means anything and therefore nothing. See, putting the government stamp of approval on marriage on a behavior that is socially and culturally destructive, putting a government stamp of approval on it will increase the number of people involved in the lifestyle. What happened when we made abortion legal in 72? Babies started dying. Because there are people who are not familiar with the Bible who really believe that if it's legal, it must be okay. And so the government takes the lead in deciding and, and listen to don't ever let anybody tell you you can't legislate morality. Really, thou, thou shalt not murder is morality. We have laws against murder. You want me to take away the laws of murder? In fact, why can't I murder you right now? Well, no, it's not right. Why isn't it right? Of course you can legislate morality. We let, every law is legislating morality. Every law. And, when you, and when, you, when you make immorality the law of the land, what happens to your culture? It just destroyed. It implodes. Families are eradicated. Now, I mean, I'm talking about what's going to happen to the church, but making homosexual marriage legal is going to spread the acceptance of the behavior. And that's the goal of the homosexual community. It's the new and improved definition of marriage must be taught to children, whether parents wish it or not. This Behind us lies the very insidious view that government knows better than parents what children ought to be taught. Now, you want an example of that? 2003 in Massachusetts, uh, they passed a law that said children had to be taught the definition from kindergarten and first grade. And several parents objected. They said, we want to take our children out. Parents didn't ask to stop them teaching. They just said, we want to take our children out uh, rather than having them exposed to that because of our faith. The state refused to give an opt-out, notified the parents. The parents sued. The federal court and the federal appeals court both found against the parents. You have no right to take your children out of what we're teaching them. This is, this is happening right now. We hear them say that a person, some of the other things that they say, what are some of their arguments? Okay, uh, we should be able to marry somebody we love. 
But you know what? Emotion and affection has absolutely nothing to do with the government's interest in marriage. The government's interested in marriage. They don't care about making feelings legal. Like Ray said, I've had a friend that, that I have had a strong uh, affection for as a brother since high school. But why would the government have any reason to come and tell me my friendship needed to be licensed or needed to be legal or listen, that you have to accept my friendship with my friend? You understand the government doesn't care about emotions or a, you know, any kind of attachments other than what affects the family. Because what destroys the family destroys children and, and destroys the culture. We hear that same-sex uh, couples, and I heard this in Santa Fe, we want benefits. We can't even visit each other in the hospital. We want to have our benefits and stuff. That's absolute nonsense. There's all kinds of laws in place that give benefits to anybody who wants them. If the government wants to allow health care benefits to pass for you to say you can designate one other person, suppose it's your grandmother living with you. Yes, you can have one other person on your health care plan. The government can do that without marriage. It doesn't need marriage. That's a, that's a, a terrible argument. Um, th- there are all kinds of laws in place that will, that will do everything that they're asking. They don't need marriage for any of those things. Finally, what is redefining marriage going to do to us, the church? For the government to make homosexual behavior legal, even civil unions, because that's where it starts. Don't, Don't buy that one for a minute. And calling it marriage is the next step in a much broader homosexual agenda. They wrote about it. They're going right down the path, and that is the absolute silencing of anyone who publicly disagrees with what they're saying. That means pastors, churches, Christians, and what they are saying louder and more forcibly as time goes on is this. You are discriminating against us on the basis of our sexual preference, and that means all kinds of sexual activities. Involving more than just humans, by the way. I'll just put it that way. It's already a a fact come out. Um, And involving everybody in a family, regardless of age. That's already on the books. They're already asking for that. And I don't want to say anything more about that, but I'm telling you, this doesn't stop. It is complete anarchy. You are discriminating us against our sexual preference, and we are going to force you to accept our sexual behavior by using the civil rights law and the hate crimes laws to silence you. Now, how many of you are veterans? I'm a veteran. Raise your hand. Veterans. All right. Thank you. How many, how many of you are patriots? All right. I love you. Now, let me tell you something. In 2009, there was a law passed the first time in the history of the United States that there is a law on the books in our country that makes it illegal for you to disagree with your government on the issue of sexual preference. I want to let that sink into you that there is a law passed by Congress that makes it illegal for you or me or Ray 
any pastor here, any public figure, to disagree with our government when the topic is sexual freedom. Kathleen Sebelius, who is the health, what is she, health department, national secretary of health, education, and welfare, whatever, made this statement. I see no instance when religious freedom would ever trump sexual freedom. It is illegal for us to disagree with our government on the books right now. They're not enforcing it. But I'm here to tell you that they will. They will enforce it. And, it, and they have made it illegal for you to disagree with their anything passed by the government. This is sexual anarchy. This is pre-flood world coming soon to a country near you. This, is, this boys, is not pretty. And what's going to happen is, and it's already happening, persecution is coming to our country. And it's going to come from the homosexual, from the agenda put in place in the government, if we do not elect moral leaders who will take this agenda aside. It's in the health care law. Okay? You heard about these guys and girls? Bash back. Armed and dangerous. They have been uh, attacking churches until they found out they violated federal law, and now Alliance Defending Freedom is suing them, and that shut them down a little bit. But they are violent, violent homosexuals, and they're coming after us. They're called bash back. Carry clubs, guns, knives, or whatever. I'll tell you, uh, YouTube, when Prop 8 was going, uh, I watched YouTube and had a picture in a, uh, a ghetto area in San Francisco. I call it a ghetto, but it was a homosexual ghetto. And there were Christians in there with signs and Bibles, and they were trying to witness. Do you remember that? you seen that video? Okay. The police came in. The aggressors were the homosexuals. They were hitting them. They knocked one elderly woman down. They were, they were aggressive. The police came in and took the Christians out for their protection. I'm letting that sink in. They didn't deal with the lawbreakers. They dealt with the innocent people and took them out of the area, stopped their ministry in order to, quote-unquote, protect them. If you read a little bit about Nazi Germany, you will find out that that's what happened to the Jews. They had violence against them, and instead of stopping the violence, they began to pull the Jews out to protect them. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to wreck your afternoon, boys, but this is where the country's going. And we as uh, God's men need to stand up for it. Now, the guy that wrote this, Eric Metasis, wrote Bonhoeffer's uh, very thick biography, you can probably get it in the bookstore, store, about his uh, Nazi Germany experience. And Eric, uh, I've seen him talk recently, uh, an amazing man, but he one thing in this book that got me was in one two-week period, week or two weeks, 800 evangelical pastors were removed from the German population and put into prison camps, sent to the front line, and killed and or killed, and nothing, the culture went right on. People in the churches mourned, and they put those past. they were all the pastors that wouldn't sign the loyalty oath to Adolf Hitler. 
They separated them out, and they came and took them away. Eric said, when they ask you, how does our marriage hurt you? You say, well, <laughs> I can think of one significant way it will hurt us. It will destroy religious freedom and free speech. And it is right now in the process of doing that right now. You and I are living at a time when our country is turning against the church. It's just starting. You shouldn't feel sorry for yourself. 200,000 Christians will die this year worldwide being persecuted just because they were Christians. It's really about time we joined them. It, it's really about time we got a taste of what it is like to be a Christian in a hostile society. Now, does that mean I don't think you should go vote? Absolutely not. But I'm just telling you what I fear and think, not fear, but think is coming. Okay, let me finish. I'm probably in trouble. All through history, when and where marriage has been honored and the family unit upheld by society, that culture has been strong. For all this 100 and whatever years in our culture and 200 plus in our nation, that was the way it is. It's the natural order established by God. When you honor that, He blesses your country. And in order for us to get out of this, we have to honor God's original design for marriage in our personal lives. That means you, in your marriage, be a man of integrity, stick with your wife no matter what, even when she's not nice to you. You guys understand what I'm saying? You, you, you honor because it's marriage, right? You teach it to your children. I want you to sit down with your children and say, in a loving way, tell me what you believe about the issue of homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Don't be afraid to talk to them about it because they're talking about it at school, on Facebook, on, they're watching the things on the TV. You, you're fooling yourself if you think you're avoiding that subject by not talking about it in their lives. They know more about it than you do. And sit down and go through some of these things with them. Talk to them. When you say gay marriage, tell me what you mean. Talk to me about that. Do you mean two men without clothes on? You, you guys understand what I'm saying? Define your terms. Talk to them. Get with your children. Be a man of integrity at work and your family. Honor your marriage bed. Don't be afraid to speak up on this issue in public. Because there's going to come a day when you can't. If we miss the opportunity when we can, and we act like a bunch of sheep that can't stand up for God's truth, and this is in any area, then there'll come a day when we can no longer speak. We've lost our witness. And right now is when this country is drowning. Right now this is when this country needs men. Stand up and say, hang on just a second. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Amen. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> it is a privilege and is a little overwhelming that we find ourselves in the last days when the greatest nation on the entire earth that you blessed, and you allowed, that you blessed, is disintegrating before our very eyes. Lord, help us to restore integrity to our nation. Help us to be the voice of calm and reason and the voice of love and the voice of truth. 
Help us, Lord, to live out those things and speak those things that are important to you so that we can honor you in all we do and say. Lord, unless you fill us with your Holy Spirit, like Sean said, we're not up to this task. We're going to drown in this culture. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Make us into Daniels and Jeremiah's and Bonhoeffer's and Luther's and people, men that are willing to stand for what they believe. Thank you for this time, Lord. Bless our fellowship and bless our next study in Jesus' name. Amen.